Brethren in Christ, Laudato Jesus Christus in Sequila. This is Timothy Flanders with the Meaning of Catholic. Jesus is King. Happy Friday in the second week of Lent. We're continuing our series, Pope Benedict Vindicates the Trads. This is a series of conversation among trads about the teachings of Joseph Ratzinger and his life, and later Pope Benedict, and how Pope Benedict vindicates the traditionalist position and the traditionalist movement. So we talked a little bit about in the part one, two, and three about some of the aspects that help explain the issues with Vatican II and afterwards. And we're about to get into Vatican II and Pope Benedict further. And so today we're going to talk about post-war naivete and understanding what that is and why that is and help help that explain uh, what happened at Vatican II, why it was done, why it failed. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. First, if you have benefited from this content, this is free content for all, but it's not free to produce. It does cost time and energy and money. And this lay apostolate runs on your donations. And we're hoping to grow further this year to really expand into something that really supports the Catholic lay apostolate. The Catholic lay apostolate is traditionally reclaiming the two swords doctrine wherein lay people take a formative role in shaping Christian society. Right now, we live in a clericalist era, which has destroyed so much of the situation that we're having. And we need lay leaders to once again arise, uh, as they have since Constantine the Great and before, to propagate the gospel, to Christianize society, to build Christendom. And so that's what this lay apostolate is all about. So please support us to help us grow so that we can do this and help support all lay people in in reclaiming our roles as lay leaders and as uh, families, Catholic families in this time. So patreon.com slash meaning of Catholic. You can also donate at meaning of coming up soon. We'll be talking further into more controversial topics tomorrow. We're recording a show on the demonology of geopolitics. So we're analyzing current affairs and looking at the ways that the fallen angels are involved in nations and in wars and rumors of wars. Uh, Just did the show yesterday about the conspiracy of Antichrist, the book of Revelation, understanding the situation through a Catholic lens and understanding what is the true conspiracy, what are false conspiracies, and how do we navigate this as Catholic families? So that's we're getting more into that, obviously, with the consecration of Russia impending and everything going on. We're getting further into a lot more deeper things that are uh, very controversial. So that's where we in the and that's the guild family stream is when we talk about all those controversial things. So that's what's coming up. So let's get on to our topic. Um, Vatican II and the post-war naivete. Kennedy Hall, our confrere here at Meaning of Catholic, uh, really put it very well when he said that Vatican II is the post-war council. And we can't really understand Vatican II, especially on a historical level, uh, but even on a magisterial level, unless we understand the context, the historical context, for what was going on at the time. Now, um, Pope Benedict, So, well, what we're going to do here is we've talked a little bit about how Pope Benedict was was right. Like he has sort of trad positions, if you will, in certain ways that, that vindicate the trad position. Now, starting today and next week, God willing, we'll talk about his naivete 
and how Pope Benedict and Rose, Joseph Ratzinger's mistakes, uh, his blind spots, actually also vindicate the trads. So this we'll, we'll be talking about how Pope Benedict agrees with the trads, but also how Pope Benedict, his sort of missteps or naivete, also vindicates the trads. So post-war naivete. Let's let me start with this quote, actually. So this is from Peter Seawald, volume one. This is the magisterial biography of, of Pope Benedict. And this is describing the post-war world. OK, so when we say post-war, we're talking after World War Two. It says this. So this is talking about in Germany. This is Peter Seawald, page 132. Peter Seawald talking. Uh, it was a year talking about um, 1945, six, seven. It was a year of new possibilities and a new beginning out of the wreckage, resurrection from ruins. One of those incomparable moments history offers to pause, no longer to go on as before, a chance to change things, to kindle a light of hope. Those born later can barely fathom the emotions of that time, to feel on your skin what freedom means, to have a future again after being persecuted or even condemned to death in a free world. So this is what it felt like in Europe after the defeat of National Socialism. There was this great euphoria, this great optimism that the evil, the evil has been vanquished. And now we can finally rebuild this. It was a nightmare. And now it's over. Not only that, there was a hero in that story for Europe. Here's what uh, Pope Benedict said in his hermeneutic of continuity speech. So he's talking about the post-war naivete, the post-war optimism. Quote, people came to realize that the American Revolution was offering a model of a modern state that differed from the theoretical model with radical tendencies that had emerged during the second phase of the French Revolution. Catholic statesmen demonstrated that a modern secular state could exist that was not neutral regarding values, but alive, drawing from the great ethical sources opened by Christianity. Now, perhaps the most prominent among these churchmen, which Ratzger may be implying, referring to, is Jacques Maritain. Jacques Maritain immigrated to the United States in the 1920s and he came from a, a France that was extremely divided, bitterly divided about between monarchy and republicanism. It was a France that had been torn by the French Revolution, by the genocide against Catholics, and had been bitterly fighting among Frenchmen for some 120 years at the time. So he comes to the United States and he experiences a different flavor of republicanism which is the american version which is a great breath of fresh air he doesn't see the same bitterness that he experienced in france and in the 1920s he wrote he writes a new book called integral humanism and this is his effort to promote something like the what we call the american experiment which is the polity of the united states which is this secular republic but as as Ratzinger says, it's not neutral towards values. It does have sort of a quasi-religious Christianity, something like that, um, 
which is true, historically true, as, as the American Revolution is a conservative anti-Catholic revolution, which was pro-Catholic in some senses. Uh, and we don't have time to get into all of that. But the point is that it is entirely different than the French Revolution in terms of its attitude towards the church and religion in general. Um, and so Jacques Maritain says, this, and he sees this, he's, you know, he's like, wow, this is totally different than the French experience. So he writes this praise of, of the French, uh, or the, sorry, the United States Republicanism. Um, and then he writes his reflections on America, which is in the 1950s during this period of post-war optimism. He writes this, this is in reflections on America, 1956. It will be necessary for the European spirit and the American spirit to meet and cooperate in common goodwill. It is possible to be more specific to say what the what the world expects from America is that she keep alive in human history a fraternal recognition of the dignity of man. In other words, the terrestrial hope of man in the gospel. Now, I want to explain what they're talking about when they say the dignity of man. In a good sense, they're talking about the freedom of the individual person to be free from something like national socialism. This is the context of what they're talking about. National socialism was an extreme pagan regime that was attempting to impose its will on all human persons, all families, to make everybody an object of the state, the state regime. So there was no freedom whatsoever. And so having this freedom, this dignity of man, that there was a, this true freedom, a, a true, a good amount of freedom, not making someone an object of the state to do the state's will. Um, so this is what Maritain is talking about when he's he's talking about the hope in the gospel, in the this context of this, this post-war optimism. So the reason that Catholic churchmen were so optimistic was because the United States had come in and in 1941, had rescued Europe from National Socialism. And then in the 1950s, especially, they seemed to be very, very Catholic. Hollywood was out, was exporting. Speaking of Fatima, there was the Fatima movies. There was all these. Uh, at the time, there was the Legion of Decency that had control over Hollywood. So the Catholic Church was basically controlling Hollywood. They were making clean movies. Fulton Sheen was the um, primetime on primetime TV. So he was a popular TV host, Fulton Sheen, a bishop, a bishop, a Catholic bishop was on primetime television. Everybody was watching him in the United States. So Catholicism was in fact on the rise. There was actually a, a, a revival happening in, in the United States. Whereas in Europe, it was extremely secular. France was extremely secular. It, be, it had become a mission country. Um, there was this, the, the worker priest was a in France was an effort for the, for the French to be re-evangelized. Germany had just been decimated by the Nazis. Um, and now we have this freedom. We have this very seemingly pro-American, uh, I'm sorry, pro-Catholic America that has just rescued us from this nightmare. Uh, and so we need to understand where this naivete comes from. It's not just, it's not just totally, um, totally foolish. You can understand kind of where they would get this idea. As, as Seawald says, it's hard for us. I, I, I mean, I was born in 1987. It's hard to 
understand why were they so optimistic but if you place yourself in that context you can understand why they were so optimistic but ultimately it was a naivete um and we're going to get into that uh as to why it wasn't a naivete um a few other aspects to this um we had Ho we had hollywood full sheen we had the foundation of the united nations which was in its in its essence of trying to prevent the catastrophe of world war in that sense it is an imitation of christendom because it is attempting to keep peace in, in the same way that the pope attempted to keep peace in christendom and was far more successful for other reasons the united nations is is founded after the war and as as a uh, another party just like the League of Nations that had failed. So there's this great optimism and there's a rising younger generation which is coming to the fore who's trying to, to who is pushing off what their elders did and the reason is because their elders were Nazis. So it's not just it's not only uh, it's not only the the type of thing where you know, this is like Marxist feminism, rebelling against the elders, rock and roll. It's not just that bad stuff. It's realizing that actually our elders became Nazis. So we have a problem with some of these older ideas. We want to actually build something new on the ruins of what just happened. And so, but we actually want to do it in a Christian way, in a new way that's going to actually work. And so here, here's what comes this, this, this post-war optimism now the and uh, well i'll read this in just a minute um the big thing justin the catholic is, is um pointing out jfk so this is the other big optimism right in 1960 he gets elected um jfk first catholic president of the united states this great optimism and he's the one preaching this message so much about optimism and Hold on a second. Hey, Jack, Jack, I need you to wait five more minutes, please. Yes, you can. All right. So, um, yeah, so JFK is, you know, this great, this new generation. He rides this wave of this new generation optimism, and he's a Catholic. You know, they, the, the, United States accepts him. This is a, a huge moment in the history of the world. In the history of the, really the modern period, I should say. Um, and then right when the Vatican II Council happens, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so we have this great, this great scare. Are we going to go right back to the same thing again? That this huge nightmare that we just had. But they resolve this nuclear crisis by doing what? Dialogue. They dialogue. JFK dialogues with the Soviets. They work it out. Crisis averted. Wow. That's a great way to start the Second Vatican Council. We just had dialogue with the United States, who's this moral leader. We can actually do this. We can build back better. 
I'm, we can we can make something better out of the ruins of national socialism. It, it's like within their grasp. They're so excited. We're actually going to do something. We're going to make the Second Vatican Council. We're going to go out and evangelize. We're going to take back all these things. So this these are all the this is all the naivete that's that's just that's just pumping through the council halls. Everybody's so excited. I want to read one last quote here, and we'll get to some questions. Um, so here's Ratzinger. This is from 19, this is from, against Peter Sewell's volume one, page 159. When Ratzinger became Pope, he also said at a youth gathering in the Vatican 2005 that his decision to enter the service of the church had explicitly been a counter-reaction to the atrocities of the Nazi regime. And then quoting Ratzinger, the great figures persecuted by the Nazi regime, for example, Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, became great models for me. And then he lists some other great anti-Nazi figures, for example, Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedicta. Um, so there's actually this strong clerical class, like somebody like Ratzinger, who views his own priesthood as entering into this post-war optimism directly opposed to what just came before the Nazis. Um, because the Catholic Church in Germany opposed the Nazis from day one to the end. And you also have Henri de Lubac. He was, uh, you know, one of these big figures and he was a part of the French resistance. Um, the French, the, the French Vichy regime was totally discredited which sought to appease the Nazis for some form of peace, whereas free France of Charles de Gaulle um, became, uh, uh, Patin was actually sentenced to death, but he got commuted. So um, th that division in French society continued to be very, very bitter. Um, so this is the reason for this post-war optimism, and that we need to understand it sympathetically. Why did it really happen? Why did they get so hoodwinked by this naivete? Well, here's why. This is This is what this situation was like. And that's why that's the, one of the most important things we need to understand about Vatican II. So like when Dignitas Humanae comes out in the very first paragraph and says, uh, man more and more is searching for human dignity and all this. Well, that's the same thing that Pius XII said in 1944 in his Christmas address about democracy. He was, he was also, Pius XII was also seen there is this shift towards a democratic system because of the positive aspects of the United States. And so because there was enough good things in the United States and the time, there was enough good things happening. Churchmen, good churchmen like Ratzinger let their guard down. They let their guard down. They bought into this naivete. They didn't realize that the enemies of Christ were plotting and plotting and plotting. And that's the reason for this, this situation. And so we'll talk next week, God willing, about who were the evil actors, who were the malicious actors at this time, so that they were able to pounce on this naivete and cause the crisis that we have now. So this was this weak spot, this sort of weak point in the stronghold of the church that was, it was this, as, as John the 23rd said, opening up those windows to the, to the church. And that was opening up the windows was this naivete. Um, 
and so it, when we understand that it's naivete, then we can properly understand what Vatican II did. Why did it do it? Why did it approach it this way? And then why did it fail? So that's all we have. Let me let me get to some of these questions. Um, have you read Christopher Dawson's historical works? Yes, my book is based on um, City of God versus City of Man is, is an attempt to synthesize the work of St. Augustine, City of God, and Christopher Dawson's historical works. That's Christopher Dawson, in my view, and the view of many, is the greatest 20th century historian out there. Um, I have almost all of his works. Um, so yeah, Chris, anything by Christopher Dawson, go read it. Uh, but that's that was Christopher Dawson is the he actually has um, this text right here, the Judgment of the Nations. This one was written during World War II, and so he's reflecting on the fact that World War II is the wrath of God, uh, very much along with Fatima, obviously. Um, it does it doesn't appear that he was very well versed in Fatima, but he was able to perceive this because he was such a pious Christian historian. Um, let me just take a look. Yeah, with Burning Desire by Pius XI is a great work on the evil of national socialism, politically, socially, and culturally. Yes. And there's a lot of myths and lies about the church under the Nazis, but the bottom line is, looking at the historical record, the hierarchy, the papacy, the bishops, uh, the greatest layman at the time, Dietrich von Hildebrand, were fighting tooth and nail against the Nazis and defending the Jews and other groups that were targeted themselves. Catholics were one among the greatest targets um, against this regime. Um, so anyone who tells you otherwise is, is really buying into these myths that were propagated after the war. Um, what's the verdict on Axiom Francaise? Uh, I'm not sure what you're asking, but it was suppressed in 1927. Uh, very much falsely, it was a, a it was a, a terrible mistake of Pius XI, uh, terrible mistake, um, which was a disaster. Uh, it really was a disaster for the church in the 20th century. Um, Cardinal Billot resigned in protest uh, at this unjust suppression. Um, Fulton Sheen was so watered down with his message that Protestants felt validated in their heresy. Uh, I think that's not really a fair not very fair, I think. Uh, I mean, you have to understand the context here. Uh, I mean, Fulton Sheen is preaching to Protestants, uh, bringing them to the faith. I mean, he's converting people like Bella Dodd. Uh, I mean, you can't come out and go full throat Catholic in the hostile environment. You have to at least give them what they what they can handle to win them over to the faith. So I, I think that's not really a fair uh, a fair characterization of of Fulton Sheen. Um, let me see. Any other questions or comments? CIA and KGB involvement in Vatican II. Yes and yes. We'll talk about those nefarious actors next week, God willing. Uh, traditional Thomist. Practical question. How do we avoid being scrupulous like pre-Vatican II hyper Thomist as well as avoid the na naivete attitude of the 1960 churchmen? Great question. Um, I, I mean, I think ultimately... Uh, it's about understanding the duties of your state in life. Uh, the church kind of makes this clear for us. It breaks it down. What are your duties? You are a, I mean, most of us are, are, are laymen, laywomen. Our duty is to pass down the faith, save our own souls, pass down the faith to our children, 
And if we have uh, availability to uh, impl um, to implement the lay apostolate according to our state in life, and the lay apostolate, as the meaning of Catholic is a lay apostolate, the lay apostolate is to convert your neighbors, convert your sphere of influence. So neighbors, people in your neighborhood, um, convert them, all of those things. Um, you should be doing all, this should be number one priority, all these things. And then it's only second, third, fourth, fifth priority for you to start to deal with all of these controversies and try to figure those out and fix them. Because ultimately that's God's responsibility. Like, you know, God is, Christ is the head of the church. And so um, we don't need to worry. Christ will fix his church. Uh, I'm going to present in this series my own theory, my own hypothesis that I have in my book as to why God, why did God allow Vatican II? Uh, I do believe that God is working good out of evil, working good out of evil situations and crises in the church. And I, I have an, a hypothesis about that that I'll share. Um, but uh, I, I think that ultimately we need to really restore uh, a true Catholic sense in the sense that um, most of us or many of us, I, I think many people need to just get back to their, their state in life, get back to what they need to be doing in their local community and their family and focus on that. And then all the news and the international stuff, that's not your responsibility unless you might be a lay leader or you might be, you know, somebody who has more influence or something like that, then you can deal with all that stuff. Um, but a lot of us, we just need to ignore Vatican news and get on with our saving our souls and saving our neighbor's souls. So um, I think if a lot of us did that, um, but I think like this series, for example, is a lot about trying to address a lot of people who are doubting in their faith because of all these issues, people who are looking at these histories and they're just like, you know, the church is lost. Uh, you know, the gates of hell have overcome the church or something like that. And they're losing their faith and they're and they're want to become Greek Orthodox or whatever have you. Um, so we're trying to address a lot of that stuff. That's the purpose of this show. Um, and this is so, you know, if this if this type of depth or this type of, uh, you know, macro view is not helpful to the duties of any one state in life. Turn this off and go save your soul and your family. You don't, you don't need to watch me on the internet. <laughs> uh, even though, as you, as I noted, um, you know, this is part of my own family income is, is making money on this so that I can support my own family. So it's part of my duties of my own state of life. But, um, I think the internet can be a trap sometimes. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if that's helpful. Um, and, uh, but I mean, that's, that's my two cents. Um, Let's see. Yes. Um, Axion Frost says the condemnation was reversed by Pius XII in one of the first acts of his pontificate in 1939. So everybody knew it was wrong, or a lot of people did. And then Pius XII immediately reversed it. But by that time, it was too late. So the period of 1927 to 1939... Many liberals had already taken over the ep episcopate because of that. Um, uh, I I don't really get the the I don't really get the criticism of Fulton Sheen. I mean, shouldn't we be just be? Uh, I, I, shouldn't we be happy that we have uh, a solid Catholic who is bringing the gospel in the 1950s and and uh, bringing 
the Catholic faith to a wider audience. I mean, I don't know what evidence there is that he was really compromising. There's a difference between presenting uh, as what St. Paul says, there's a difference between giving someone milk instead of meat and compromising with lies and poisonous lies. I mean, if, if someone can present evidence that Fulton Sheen was in fact a modernist or in fact a communist or in fact any of these bad things, then okay, we can have a conversation. But I, I, I think that your criticism is a bit harsh uh, on Fulton Sheen. Um, so that's that's uh, my take. I mean, I'm not I'm not a, like a, an apologist for Fulton Sheen, but I don't really get why everyone's kind of uh, there's not everybody, but there's a few people in the chat just kind of negative about Fulton Sheen. But uh, as far as I can tell, he he was uh, a solid bishop, anti-communist. Um, yeah, just because he he didn't go full anti-Vatican II after Vatican II. Well, a lot of bishops didn't quite understand what was going on. Even good bishops. I mean, Ottaviani uh, is a great example. I mean, he's kind of a, a hero to the trads, but he didn't he didn't go full anti-Vatican II. Um, so I think you need to be fair and charitable with when you you know you're going to criticize. I mean, everybody's got a blind spot. That's the thing. I mean, I've like fifty years from now, somebody's going to say, "Wow, Timothy Flanders totally missed this." And it's going to be true. Of course. I mean, I can't predict everything that is being said. That's just the reality. Like people, you got to, you got to be fair with people. I mean, if, if everybody got judged so strictly like that, we are all toast. So I think we got to be charitable. Okay. Like Fulton Sheen did a lot of good. Maybe, I mean, maybe you could have done better here and there and there. Okay, fine. You know, but that that's kind of, I mean, that's just a charitable approach to your own father in the faith who has now gone to his eternal reward. So I think, we need to be a little, a little bit more charitable, but that's, that's just my, my take on that. So, all right, well, that's all we have. Let's offer up a, an Ave uh, to Our Lady of Fatima, praying for the consecration to come, that it may be according to Our Lady of Fatima, and for peace in Ukraine, the conversion of Russia and Ukraine, the conversion of all of our souls before uh, before the dread judgment seat of Christ. Nomine Patris, Sefidi, Spiritu Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum diarbus, et benedictus frutus ventris tu, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre, Amen. Nomine Patris, et Filii, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Jesus is King.